Hi, everyone. Welcome to the April 16th edition of the Timeform U.S. Forecast. I'm David Aragon, and I'll be joined in just a moment by my usual co-host, Craig Milkowski. Big weekend of racing to look forward to once again, primarily focused on Oaklawn, where there's a rematch that we've been waiting for really since the start of the year, as Monomoy Girl, last year's older mare champion, faces off against last year's three-year-old Philly champion, Swiss Skydiver. Uh, we got a matchup of these two in last year's Breeders' Cup Distaff, but it wasn't the satisfying matchup that I think a lot of people were craving, as Swiss Skydiver didn't get the best trip that day. That shouldn't happen in the Apple Blossom, with a small field of six signed on, really just two, the two major players, maybe three if you count Latruska, but we'll get to that race a little towards the end of the podcast. We're going to actually talk about the entire late pick five sequence at Oaklawn Park on Saturday, the Apple Blossom, the major stakes race, but that sequence also includes the grade two Oaklawn handicap. Uh, Express trains coming over from California for that race. He was second last out in the Santa Anita handicap, so interesting to see if he can cement himself as one of the major players in this older handicap division. At the end of the podcast, we'll also discuss one other race from Keeneland. That is the feature race there, the grade two Elkhorn going a mile and a half for the older turf horses on Saturday. But Craig, the uh, main attraction this week is obviously the Apple Blossom. And I'm very excited to see how these two top older mares match up. Yeah, that's certainly the one I'm looking for. I mean, the Apple Blossom almost always draws the top horses in the division and no letdown this year there. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to watching that and talking about it later on the podcast. I wish I could make it this week, but we're not able to make it to Oakland. Uh Thought about making the travel even if just for a day, but a little too far. But you don't get to see these kind of horses in the flesh too often. So sorry I have to miss it, but I'll certainly be tuned in. Let's talk about this entire late pick five sequence, beginning with race eight. And as Craig and I were going back and forth about what to do on the podcast this week, I initially wasn't going to talk, didn't want to talk about this sequence because you're probably going to go a little bit thinly in the Oakland handicap and the apple blossom. But the other races in this sequence are all somewhat interesting. And we'll begin with one of those race eight on this 12 race card. It's a maiden special weight going a mile on the 16th for the three-year-olds. And you're likely to have two favorites in this race in the number three stiletto boy and the number six cryo who are coming out of the same race going a mile at Oaklawn at this level stiletto boy just lost that race by a nose after leading most of the way that was his first start around two turns and he ran a pretty nice race uh cryo was a shorter price that day but he was just stalking outside the entire way could never really get close to stiletto boy late but maybe he'll do better in his second start around two turns yeah, this is a pretty interesting maiden race. I think the obvious pick would be to go to Stiletto Boy. I mean, he looks to be on a clear lead on our pace projector. He has the best time for him, U.S. speed figures. But personally, I'm a little wary of maidens that give up late leads when they come back. And he's actually done it twice now. Uh, he's led at the stretch call with a furlong to go and been run down. And that always gives me a little cause for pause, especially at a short price like he's going to be. I, I don't have it. I don't have any argument with the morning line. I would assume that he would be the morning line favorite. Now, I don't think there's a, a ton of competition in here, but I do think a couple have a chance to beat him. One is Cryo, who you mentioned. He had a little bit of a wide trip last time, but the one I actually prefer is Wright Tone, who comes out of that very same race. He was drawn way outside that day and just was wide every single step of the way. He kind of lost ground as he was coming off the uh, second turn. But I really liked how he dug in and, and was still running through the lane, made up some of those lengths he lost. So I, I think he's actually 
probably almost as dangerous as the favorite and going to be probably double the price in here. So I'm going to make right tone my top pick in this field. The one other horse that, that I would consider using if I'm playing the pick five is James Madison for Steve Asmussen. Uh, it's second time out. He, he didn't get bet at all in his first start at Turfway, but that was on synthetic. And this is just one of those where Steve Asmussen has dreadful numbers on synthetic surfaces, is way better on dirt. So if I'm looking to get a price in, he's one I'd consider using as like a C-type horse. Yeah, I think focusing on that March 27th race that Stiletto Boy comes out of is the right strategy here because it was a pretty fast race for the level as far as these horses go. Uh, and Stiletto Boy, I agree with you, Craig. He is the horse to beat in this race. I'm not sure how short of a price I'd want to take on him, but I thought he did run well last time. He's a son of Shackleford. He looks a lot like that horse actually with a big white face, a chestnut, and he uh, showed that same kind of speed last time. And I thought he was pretty game to only lose by a nose. He was really fighting back late when the winner came to him, uh, but he did get run down still that's twice in a row now um of the horses coming out of that race i agree that right tone was a little wide i'm not sure that i necessarily see the upside in him as i do some others in here uh, like cryo who's getting that uh rider switch back to florent Giroux, who uh, that's a good sign for brad cox i suppose but he's also likely to take money with that switch as well um so i'd use all of those horses the other horse, though, that's coming out of that March 27th race that I do want to give a mention to is the number two, WW Crazy. He was beaten almost 16 lengths, but uh, if you watch the start of that race, he really lost all chance coming out of the gate. Um, I mean, it says off, slow, and bothered. He was basically pushed sideways coming out of the gate, lost a good five lengths of position. And that was a race that was really dominated on the front end. The top two finishers basically ran that way around the racetrack, just changing positions at the end. And WW Crazy was outrun at the back of the pack the entire way. He never really got involved, but he did pass half the field. And I'm not going to hold it against him that he didn't really make up any ground since nobody did in that race. He was a big price that day at 40 to one. He's probably going to be another big price in this race, but I think he's got a right to step forward. And it's not like his debut was that slow since he's coming out of one of the fastest races of any of the horses that are exiting different spots in here. So at a big price, he, he's the one long shot that I would give a look to here. So I would definitely use him in a pick five sequence along with some others. I mean, I guess if you want to use a horse out of a different race, maybe I'd look to the outside to my favorite uncle um, for Dwayne Lucas, whose horses typically improve with racing these days. Uh, he's got a nice pedigree being by Uncle Mo out of the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies winner Storm Song back from the mid-90s, who must be a pretty old broodmare at this point to still be throwing foals. Um, but uh, my favorite uncle, I think, has a right to improve. He's just coming out of a slower race. So definitely a competitive race to start off the sequence. I think there are a lot of ways to go. Go, but the favorites do seem to be the horses to beat. Moving on to the second race in this sequence, it's race nine, and it's one of the stakes races on this Oaklawn Saturday card. That is the Oaklawn Handicap $1 million purse grade two event going a mile and an eighth for the older horses. And I think the favorite on the morning line is the horse to beat in here. That's the number two express train. He's come back as a really nice four-year-old for John Sheriff's. Um, no disgrace losing to Charlatan when he made his return in the Malibu at the end of last year. And since then, he's run well in both starts and stretching out. He was a decisive winner of the San Pasquale two back. And he came back with a really nice runner-up finish in the Santanita handicap. Idol, who won that race, he just seemed like maybe he wanted a mile and a quarter a little bit more than express train. But now they're cutting back to a mile and an eighth and express train if he just holds his form and repeats his last speed figure he's going to be a handful 
Yeah, he's going to be really tough to beat. He had that 126 against Idol. I don't think it was any fluke. Uh, it was his best performance to date, but I, I think it was a totally legit race. Uh, he does cut back a furlong, but in his case, I, I think that may actually be a good thing. As you mentioned, I'm not sure he loved that mile and a quarter as much as Idol did. So no knocks on express train whatsoever. I'll certainly be using him. A uh, couple others worth mentioning in here. I think Warrior's Charge is a horse we show on the pace projector on an easy lone lead. Um, I don't remember if we had him picked on top in our power picks, but personally, I was just way too disappointed in his return race to get too excited about him. He's also a local horse. He's Brad Cox, so it's not like he's going to slip through the cracks and go off at some crazy overlay price. So I'm a little bit against him. We have Owendale, who's a co-second choice on the morning line. You, you know I'm not going to bet Owendale. Uh, he just never seems to get the job done. And, and I just and he's a money-making machine, but he just doesn't win very often. The one horse who does interest me in here, and I'll actually be surprised if he doesn't interest you because I know you've liked him for a while, is Fearless. He's the other of the seven to two shots on the morning line, the second choice. Uh, he came back nicely last time. What I really liked is he, he seemed to get over his slow start problem that he'd been having. Whatever was going on, Todd Pletcher seemed to gotten it straightened out. Uh, it's not like he was on the lead, but he certainly showed a lot more interest, made a nice early to, early move to take over. And what I find interesting about that race is two horses have come out of it and run much, much better with 120-plus speed figures. They both won their races. I think it was Eye of the Jedi, and I can't remember who the other horse was right now. But um, So I think that race might be stronger than the 117 time form U.S. speed figure. So he's a horse I'm going to use as well. Um, another interesting horse in here is the one horse Silver State for Steve Asmussen. He's a horse who's actually won four races in a row, but I just don't think he's good enough personally. He is only four to one on the morning line, but he always seems to right, run right around that 115 time form U.S. speed figure. So unless you're thinking he's a horse who's going to take a big jump, and as I said, he has been running pretty regularly lately, so that, that would be a pretty bold leap in my opinion. I'm definitely not uh, going with Silver State. Yeah, we have similar feelings about all the horses that you just touched upon. There's one more horse I do want to talk about that, that you didn't bring up, but I'll get to him at the end. Um, as for Express Train, just to finish him up, uh, I think he's the horse to be. No argument with that. I think he deserves to be the favorite in this race. The one concern I have is John Sheriff's. I, I know he has a reputation for not liking to ship outside of Southern California. I looked up the statistics and I didn't quite realize how infrequently he actually does it. Over the past five years, he's only started five horses outside of California. They've all been off the board uh, for what it's worth. So um, I don't know what to make of that. I mean, maybe it's a good sign that he's actually shipping this horse to a graded stakes outside of the Breeders' Cup. Um, he definitely belongs in a million-dollar race like this. So I expect Express Train to run well. I just think it's interesting that his trainer so rarely does this. Uh, as for Fearless, Craig, uh, you're completely right. I, I like this horse as well. And I've got a stat uh, for Todd Pletcher that uh, suggests that this horse is likely to improve. Uh, 
Todd Pletcher has great numbers coming off layoffs in dirt routes. I, I don't think anybody is uh, that's news to anybody. I mean, he just does it very well, especially at Gulfstream Park during the winter. And this horse came off the long layoff last time and won. But when he gets these horses to win off layoffs on the dirt and they run back off victories, they typically win again. Over the past five years with horses coming off layoffs of 180 days or more, second off a layoff in dirt routes. Todd Pletcher is 16 for 36. That's a win rate of almost 50%, an ROI that's well over $2, 223. So Fearless, I think, is going to hold his form, potentially take a step forward. And what you said about his last race is completely right. Um, that was a race that received a, a solid speed figure, but horses have come back out of that race to run well, to win. Um, as you said, I have the Jedi. The other horse uh, was Fat Man, who came back to win a very fast allowance race. And even Avant Garde, who it's not shown in the time form US chart right now, but but uh, he came back to run in the Godolphin Mile and was third in that race and actually a very good third because he had a trip in there and arguably could have run higher if he had gotten out of the kickback over that tough Maidan surface. So I just think Fearless is coming out of a really strong race. And I've always thought the longer, the better for this horse. So I love him stretching out to the mile and an eighth. And I wouldn't pay too much attention to his position on the pace projector. He's shown at the back of the pack. That's based largely on his races from last year when, as you said, he couldn't get out of the gate, lost all his early speed. If he shows the kind of style that he did last time, he's going to be closer to the pace than the pace projector has him. So I think Fearless makes a lot of sense in this race. Craig and I have similar feelings about some of the other short prices like Silver State, who I don't think wants to go a mile and an eighth, and I also don't think is good enough. Uh, Warriors Charge, who we have the same concerns about him just not coming back as the same horse based on the last race. Owen Dale, who just seems to always get minor rewards, and I think that's going to be his fate once again here. The other horse, though, that I did want to bring up is the number eight Silver Prospector, who's the other Steve Asperson horse in this race. Now, maybe it was just the slop last time that he really loved, though it's not like he had ever liked the wet track that much in the past, but he ran really well in that Razorback behind Mystic Guide, actually finishing ahead of Owen Dale. Um, now, he's stretching back out to the mile and an eighth, which is a distance that he has won at before, but what I liked most about the Razorback was in addition to the fact that he ran a competitive 124 time form US speed figure, he was inside for almost the entirety of that race on a day when you really wanted to be making outside moves. That's what Mystic Guide was. He was outside the entire way. And Silver Prospector breaking from the rail, um, he was never right on the rail, but he was in about the two path for most of that race. And you didn't see a whole lot of positive running going on down there. So I think Silver, uh, Silver Prospector might just be in good form right now. And you could say that that last race was a fluke, but he's had some excuses recently. He got an extremely wide trip three back in the Clark, two back. He got no pace to close into in the Louisiana. So I just think he's a little better than he looks and he could get in there. Uh, Fearless would be my top pick, but I would use Silver Prospector prominently and also Express Trade underneath. Yeah, I, I have no problem at all with Silver Prospector. I'm definitely going to be using him. I just I didn't want to cover every horse before handing it over to you. But yeah, I think that 124 is totally legit. As you said, he had run on some off tracks in the past and, and not run well at all. He did have a uh, a win in the Kentucky Jockey Club back as a two-year-old a day when he beat Tiz the Law. But um, yeah, I don't think it was the track is what I'm getting at. So as a lately raced four-year-old, there, there's no reason to think he couldn't repeat that kind of number. 
Moving on to race 10, the middle leg of this late pick five sequence at Oaklawn on Saturday. It's an optional claiming event going six furlongs. And this is a fun little race because you've got some likable older horses who are, are real regional stars where they typically compete. And that list is obviously led by the number four welder who is 26 for 38 in his career, earner of $1.2 million. Um, he's an Oklahoma bred star competing a lot at Remington Park. I'm sure Craig is quite familiar with this horse. He has not made too many starts um, against uh, at least at Oaklawn Park, just racing here once before. But his one prior start at Oaklawn was a really good effort when he ran in the Hot Springs behind Whitmore back in, I believe, 2019. Um, he's making his eight-year-old debut in this race. And you always wonder if these horses can keep coming back at the same level as they get up there in age. But he's obviously the horse to beat in this race. That said, there are some other really talented horses in here that are older runners. Uh, there's a, a top Minnesota bred, a top Iowa bred, just a really cool race. Yeah, th this is a fun race. I've seen Welder many times, as you said. He comes from a pretty low-profile barn, so it's really cool to see. But I'm going to try to beat him in here just for one reason. As you said, he's meant he's won 26 out of 38 of his career starts. But I think as I went through his lifetime PP, he's lost six out of seven outside the state of Oklahoma. The The vast majority of his wins have come at Remington Park and Will Rogers Downs. The one time he did win from Oklahoma, uh, outside of Oklahoma was a, an allowance race at Prairie Meadows, where he was, I think was a three to five favorite. So I'm not going to put a lot of stock in that. I imagine he has bigger goals down the road. There's a ton of stakes races for Oklahoma breads that he's eligible for. Now, I don't want to say he's sneezing at $108,000 purse, because I'm sure that's not the case. But I just think the the competition's a bit tougher than what he faces here locally. So I went in a different direction. And the, the horse I really think stands out for me is Fire Crow. Uh, he's drawn inside. He, he's got plenty of speed in here. He ran a nice 115 time form U.S. speed figure last time out in that hot springs. One by CZ Rocket and Whitmore. We know both of those two came back there to run very well again. So I just think Firecrow is a really strong runner in here. I'm not a big fan of Hot Shot Kid, the Minnesota bred. Uh, just looks like there's some some lengths to gain. And I think Firecrow has a tactical advantage drawing that rail being pretty loose on the lead. The pace projector shows him tracked by a horse who was just claimed. Uh, is 20 to 1 on the morning line, so I don't consider him a serious threat. So I'm going to go pretty short in here with Fire Pro. Yeah, I think Firecrow is definitely one of the alternatives in this race, and he could be one of the better prices of those, because I think a horse like Engage is going to take a lot of money. And Craig, I'd imagine you agree with me that I, I just feel like Engage is not the horse that he once was. And if he's a short price in this race, I want to look elsewhere at some other alternatives. And Firecrow seems like a valid one to me. I, I do probably worry a little more than you about some of the speed to his outside, given that he's drawn the rail, because he really has to go when he runs his best races on the lead. He, he doesn't always finish off. Off these six furlong races as strongly as I'd like, though you make a good point. He's faced some better fields in recent starts, and perhaps if he can get loose against these optional claiming foes, he'll be tough. He's definitely a horse that I'm using. Uh, the other horse that I think makes a lot of sense in here that will probably be a shorter priced alternative is the number five, Seven Nation Army, especially with Irad Ortiz riding this horse. You'd imagine he could be the second choice here to Welder, uh, but he's run really well in some recent starts. I thought that he was a little compromised by a slow pace and 
somewhat of an awkward start last time when beaten by strike power in a pretty fast allowance race for the level. Um, he was wide on the turn, just never really had good position in that race and was always a little outrod. But his prior start when he was second to Boldor and the King Cotton, that was a strong effort. He was running some really nice speed figures towards the end of last year. And I think his recent form is a little better than it seems. So Seven Nation Army to me just makes a lot of sense in this race. And I probably would prefer him to Welder, especially if they're similar prices. Um, the one other horse that I would make a case for that also was going to be a bit of a price is the number nine scrutinizer. I admit he's got to get a little faster. He's the Iowa bread star in this race. Uh, uh, one of those few uh, regional regional uh, standouts that's entered in this optional claimer. Uh, but he made his return to Oaklawn Park last time after having run well here back in 2020. And his race in the mud back in January of this year, it's not as bad as it seems. Because if you watch the start of that race, he just, I don't know exactly what happened. It's hard to tell from the head on, but he was throwing his head about. Something really upset this horse at the start of that race. And he just completely completely took himself out of the race. That's not his style to drop that far back. He just had a really awkward getaway from the starting gate. And to this horse's credit, he was really trying to get back on the race at the end. He's a really game runner, having been in the exact of 28 of 30, 21 of 38 career starts. He's probably not at this class level, but he's run some reasonable speed figures in the past. And I think he's going to get the right kind of outside stalking trip. So I would use him at a price, but focusing more on Seven Nation Army and a little bit of Firecrow, who Craig likes. Yeah, and I'm the reverse. I, I like Seven Nation Army as well. He would be more the B type for me, and that's probably it. I'm going to go too deep, and it, it's for the reasons you mentioned. He was totally against the pace in that strike power race, and, and if Firecrow gets some company up front and is going to get run down, he's the one that I think would do it. Okay, let's move on to the main attraction on this Saturday card at Oaklawn. It is the $1 million grade one Apple Blossom handicap going a mile in the 16th. Just a small, compact field of six runners, but it's the right six runners, really the right three runners in this race, as you've got those two top rivals, Swiss Skydiver and Modern White Girl, and the vastly improved Latruska, who is a major player in this race as well. We'll get to her in a little bit, but obviously the two favorites are those horses, Monomoy Girl and Swiss Skydiver, the champions from last year at the Eclipse Awards. Monomoy Girl, she got the better of Swiss Skydiver in the Breeders' Cup distaff, though I think the consensus opinion is that Swiss Skydiver did not have her best chance that day, given the trouble at the start. They're both coming into this race seemingly in top form. It's going to be a really fun race to watch. Craig, how would you break down these top two contenders? For the top two, I have to tell you, I think it's a, a little bit interesting that Swiss Skydivers trainer Ken McPeak is opting not to use Lasix here in, in a race that I think the two are very evenly matched. I, I think that could actually be a difference maker. I, I'm not a guy who's thinks that Lasix is that big of a difference, like when horses run off of it, but when your main uh, rival is using it. I don't like that very much. So in this case, I prefer Monomoy Girl in this spot. In addition, I think the pace, uh, the post position is perfect for her. She's going to be able to monitor what Swiss Skydiver's doing and kind of track her. Now, they do have to do, deal with Latruska, who's shown on a, a clear early lead on the pace projector. She does seem to be the, uh, the Twitter wise guy horse in this race. I, I've seen a lot of people who I respect like her. But frankly, I, I'm a little skeptical. I, I'm not sure she's quite up to this level. She, she's obviously a very good, uh, I think she's a mare at this point, uh, five-year-old mare. She has plenty of speed. And 
I like how she's been able to ration it out since she's uh, switched away from the blinkers. But I think people are overlooking. It's not like Swiss Skydiver or Monomoy Girl or some deep closers. And I think they just might have a little more quality than her. So I'm going to get a bit chalky in here. I'm just going to probably single Monomoy Girl because I think she is the – the best horse in here, and that Lasix really gives her an edge over Swiss Skydiver. I am curious what you think about Latruska. You know I've been a fan in the past, but I, I'm just a little bit leery that she's going to get over bad. People think she's going to be lone lead, but I the other two have plenty of tactical speed, and I don't see them letting her get away. Well, Craig and I have a fundamental uh, difference of opinion about Lasix, I think, which we've touched upon before, and I don't want to turn this into a Lasix debate. To me, the data pretty clearly shows that Lasix is not a performance enhancer for horses that do not have a severe bleeding issue. So I actually think it's a positive that Ken Peak is running Swiss Skydiver without Lasix because, number one, she ran great without it last time in the Beholder Mile, and the fact that he's having the confidence not to use it here says that, number one, he's confident that she's not a bleeder, and number two, he feels like he doesn't need an edge because this horse is just doing so well right now. It's not like he has to find some extra edge that maybe some horse traders might believe Lasix provides. He just thinks she's doing well enough to not need it. So I think that's a really good sign for Swiss Skydiver in this race. As for um, the top two contenders, I would say if they both show up with their top race, Swiss Skydiver has the edge because I think her preakness is a stronger performance than anything we've ever seen at Monomoy Girl. Nothing against Monomoy Girl. She's an admirable mare. She always shows up. She doesn't always run as fast as she needs to to win races because she's not the kind of horse that's ever going to draw off and win by 10 lengths. She does what she has to do, and often that's enough. Uh, but this is one of the toughest fields that she's ever met, and... It's not like Monomoy Girl is one of these horses that's so dominant because she runs fast speed figures. So she's going to have to prove that she can run up to Swiss Skydiver's level if Swiss Skydiver comes with her top performance, which is a big if because we haven't always seen that out of Swiss Skydiver. I would say that her last race in the Beholder Mile shows that she's coming into this race in top form. That was not the strongest grade one field, but she won that race with so much ease. I mean, I mean, she got a great trip, but once she peeled out in the stretch under Robbie Alvarado, she just pricked her ears forward when she ran away from that field. This is obviously a filly who's doing really well right now, and uh, I give her the slight edge in here over Monomoy Girl, and she's going to be a better price in all likelihood. Monomoy Girl has a massive following, and I'm sure she's going to be right around that even money or perhaps even odds on in that in this race so i give swiss skydiver the edge here uh i like her to beat the favorite and latruska i think is a horse that we also have to talk about because i don't think she's totally out of this i mean obviously the pace projector points her out as a horse that could have a tactical advantage here because she has superior early speed to the two favorites but she's also really improved in her recent starts and i'll be interested to see how she stacks up against these two titans yeah, the one thing I'd say about the pace projector is if we did the pace projector post-blinkers and pre-blinkers, uh, it would look totally different. She would not be shown that far on the lead because a lot of her big advantage comes from a couple of those races where she was just running off from the rider. And one of them, she actually kept going and held on in the shoe but in the other, the bell dame, she didn't. She wound up finishing off the board. So I just give that pace projector a little bit of skepticism here because we don't differentiate between those last five races and which had blinkers and which didn't. So obviously our pace projector is going to pick those two where she ran off that super fast red fractions 
if we use the ones without the blinkers, I don't even know if she'd be in the lead. It, it would be a lot closer for sure. Yeah, it's just a race that I'm really looking forward to. I mean, it's it's not the most difficult race to analyze from a pick five standpoint because you're probably going to use the two favorites in equal strength or maybe one a little uh, one a little bit more strongly than the other. Maybe I'd press Swiss Skydiver a little bit and use Latriska and Monomoy Girl as more backup types. But uh, it's just a race that I think fans and betters are all looking forward to. So I hope they all get clean trips and we get to see who really is superior on Saturday at Oaklawn. Yeah, that's definitely a good point. I would, no bad trips. Let's see them hook up in the lane and, and maybe even Latruska, though I don't like her. It wouldn't shock me if she won, but uh, yeah, I just am really looking forward to this as a fan, even more so as a better, because I, I don't think there's going to be any value on any of the top three personally. So maybe in the pick five, you just want to get through it. But yeah, as a fan, I, I want to see this race. Let's wrap things up with the last race of the day at Oaklawn, the final leg of this pick five sequence. Starter allowance for the Phillies and Mares going six furlongs. And this one's a real head scratcher. It's a field of 11. Uh, some A lot of horses coming off the claim. Uh, just a lot of difficult form to analyze because you've got horses coming from a variety of claiming levels moving into this starter allowance affair. I guess the horse to beat is the number one pick up the phone. For me, when I was looking through this race, she's the one that kind of stood out because she's got fairly consistent form. She even has back races that are superior if she can get back to them. And she's second off the claim for Steve Asperson, who seemed to improve her first off the claim last time. And she just seemed like she had a bit of a class edge over this field. Yeah, she's one. I'm not sure the pace projectors accurately capturing her, and maybe it's because she's coming from another barn as well. But I am a little leery. I, I'm going to be up front. I'm spreading in this race. I, I'm not going to lean on the horse like pick up the phone in a race where the pace projector shows three horses in front of her, shows the pace is going to be fast. And I don't really have an argument with that. I, I think it's pretty accurate. So it's a race I'm going to spread on. I would use pick up the phone, but probably not as an A. I, I'm going to focus more on some prices and some off the pace types. And there's a couple actually coming from the same barn. And I'll admit it's a low percentage barn. Uh, it's trainer uh, Kathy or Kim Puel, I believe is her name. And she's one who... Um, just seems to have both of the best closers in here. They're both coming off of claims from her, uh, or one of them is the three horse, uh, Shahrazadad, I believe is how you say it. I watched a replay of hers, but it, it's just a race where I'm looking for the, the race to fall apart. So I'm going to use both the three and the six horses as two that have good late, late pace advantages in here in a race where they should get a nice setup. Yeah, I think the pace is something you have to discuss in this race because there is quite a bit of speed. I'm not exactly sure who's going to be in front in this race because it's difficult to analyze the, the form and how horses are going to show speed off the claim for different barns based on how they ran maybe for some better barns in prior starts. So I think it's a little difficult to analyze. Uh, I would say... I. I would lean a little more heavily on pick up the phone than Craig would if, from an ABC sequence. I would probably make pick up the phone the only A because to me, she just has more solid credentials than anybody else in this race. And I would spread way more underneath her, like use five or six Bs in this race. Um, among those that I would also use is the number two fleet to Bella who, uh, or fleet to bell who has, uh, 
a decent running style for this race. She's a mid-pack type, and I think she's getting a little bit of class relief from her last race when she was just a little overmatched at a tougher starter allowance level. Um, she just makes some sense to me from a running style perspective. The number four, uh, Ragatag Tag, uh, she improved last time out first off the claim for Steve Asperson. Now she's going out for a barn that has pretty poor numbers off the claim, but she's running back in just 15 days. So if she can hold together any of that form that she showed for the different barn last time, I think she's a contender here. Uh, Triple Scout, the number five, does not have a great running style for this race, but she's going first off the claim for a barn that has great stats over the past five years first off the claim. So I think that's a horse you might want to pay attention to at a price. Um, of the two horses from the barn that Craig mentioned, uh, Kim Poole. I would be more interested in the number six, JP's Gladys, who I think has faced slightly better company and looks like her form is coming around at the right time after she put an improved effort in last time. Uh, I think the one other horse that I might take a look at here is the number 10, Flying Business, who is moving away from the Robertino Diodoro barn, which is maybe not a great sign, but she does have nice back races and some decent speed figures if she can run them. So um, she makes sense as well, but a really confusing finale. And that's why I'd probably lean a little bit on the favorite before spreading underneath. But uh, this seems like a treacherous way to end the sequence. Yeah, th this is a tough one. I mean, we could probably talk about every horse. I, I wasn't clear. J.P.'s Gladys is the one I prefer out of that barn. I would say she's probably my top pick. I just looked at this as a race where I'm going to spread and use prices as my A's because I didn't see a whole lot of prices earlier on the card. So if a horse like pick up the phone wins, uh, it's not going to pay a lot if I'm going to have it with what I picked in the other races. So this is one where I want to lean a little heavier on the long shots. Yeah, and I think it's a, a race where you can lean a little bit because we're likely to go a little bit thinner in some of the earlier races, like the Apple Blossom, potentially even that allowance race that's right in the middle of the sequence where if you're taking a shot against Welder, I think that there are just a couple of horses that you might want to use. So I think you can go a little bit thinly early before you get to a spread race in this finale. Before we close out this podcast, let's talk about one more race. That's the feature race at Keeneland on Saturday. It's the grade two Elkhorn going a mile and a half on the turf and didn't want to let this one slip by because I think it's a pretty competitive turf race for these older runners. We've got a few horses coming out of some races at Gulfstream, some coming back off layoffs. Uh, the morning line favorite in this race is the number 10 Red Knight, who was a winner over this course last year when he took down the Sycamore at the Keeneland Fall Meet. He's coming off a layoff since November seems like this seven-year-old always shows up with competitive effort so he's likely to be somewhere in the mix at the end yeah this is uh almost as big a head scratcher for me as this the uh last race at oakland that we just talked about i i think it's wide open several can win uh Red Knight and Say the Word are the morning line favorites. I don't think there's any real knock on either of those two. They both have figures that can win this race. They both are most likely in good form. Red Knight's coming off a layoff, as you said, but that's never been a problem with him but, uh, before. Mike Maker has three different horses in this spot, so I'll admit I don't particularly like any of them in here, uh, but a lot of people are, are going to use him because he's always dangerous at this mile and a half distance, so I'm going to go a little further and look for a bigger price than that in here. And the horse I landed on was a seven horse North Dakota. Uh, he comes out of that Pegasus turf at Gulfstream, uh, a course which I just think 
doesn't fit his style at all. It, it was a much shorter distance. He wound up wide around the track. He was so wide, in fact, you can't even see him in the replay through the stretch. Not that being wide in the stretch really matters, but it's impossible to say what happened because there's no head-on head view of the replay. But he was finishing at the end at a distance that's probably too short. And I really liked what I saw from him in the Red Smith last year, a race where he actually beat Red Knight. Uh, at a pretty good price that day. And, and I just think he's going to offer some value where some others in here, while I think they're going to run well, don't really offer value. Uh, if I had to make a second choice, nothing too clever. I think say the word is fine in here. Uh, he ran really well against United last time, a couple more strides and maybe he even gets there, but he did have a decent setup, but Two of his last uh, three races, he's running the mid-120 speed figures, which certainly makes him dangerous. Uh, the one horse I'm not going to fall for this time is Mike Baitmaker's Cross Border, a horse I picked a few times in the past, and he just never seems to get the job done. Uh, so I'm a little leery of him. Tied to the Sea is one of the other makers. He's been running just fine at Gulfstream Park, but... This isn't Gulfstream Park. It's a course that plays totally different, and I think he was flattered a little bit there. So going to look for that price, go with North Dakota, and play some verticals in here. Yeah, Craig, you alluded to it. I mean, outside of the Gulfstream Park turf course being somewhat speed favoring and some horses just not handling it, I thought that that older turf division in the marathon races at Gulfstream this winter was just generally pretty weak. Uh, I mean, you know, I, I like Churn and Burn, who won the Pan American as a horse, not just in that race. I think he's going to be improving turf marathoner. But I mean, the fact that he was coming out of an optional claiming race and he just dominated horses that had been competing in these graded stakes, I think says a lot about the quality of runners that had been showing up in these graded stakes. And outside of the Pegasus World Cup turf, I just feel like races like the Pan American and the Mac D'Armada and the McKnight, they just didn't draw really tough fields. And I think they're meeting some tougher runners rivals in here like Red Knight and Say the Word, who I think are both major contenders in this spot. Um, Red Knight does seem like the horse to beat in here. Um, he always runs well coming back off layoffs, so I'm not too concerned about that. Uh, he got a pretty good trip last time in the Redsmith, maybe moved a little bit too soon, but got there and just couldn't quite finish off the race. I thought James Graham, who's on him here, gave him a great ride when he won the Sycamore two back, so he makes a lot of sense, but I think you make a really good point about uh, North Dakota, who would also be my top pick in this race. I'm not sure he's going to be 10 to 1, but I think anything in the 6 to 1 range would be fair on North Dakota, just given how closely his form aligns to Red Knight. As you said, he beat him in the Red Smith 2 back, and remember when they faced off in the Sycamore last year, North Dakota had a bit of a trip in that race. He was trying to come up the rail, um, he got shut off in the stretch, something that Corey Lannery is often susceptible to, and he never leaves the rail, and he was riding him that day. Um, he arguably could have won that race with a clear trip, and now he's got John Velasquez aboard, and also, North Dakota, while he didn't run well last time with the Pegasus World Cup turf, note that Shug McGahee put front bandages on him that day, which is something I almost never see Shug McGahee do. And I wonder if maybe this was, there was something, some physical infirmity that was not quite right with North Dakota then. And hopefully that's worked out here because uh, he just seems like based on his form from late last year, he makes a lot of sense in this race and he's probably not going to be among the favorites. Uh 
I'm kind of against all the Mike Maker horses, which can be a little treacherous in these turf marathons. But like you, I, I wasn't a fan of cross border or tide of the sea coming out of those Gulfstream races. And the one other horse I think you have to mention is Say the Word, who you touched upon as having some really nice speed figures in California. But the one poor performance that he put forth over the past three for Phil D'Amato was the one time that he shipped outside of Southern California in that Pegasus World Cup turf. And I was looking up Phil D'Amato's stats outside of California and and when he's not running in his home state over the past five years, he's just 11 for 154, winning at 7% with a 76 cent ROI. Just He's just a trainer that doesn't have much success outside of California. So I wonder a little bit about, say, the word coming forth with his best performance. So I'm going to go more towards the outside with those two horses from the from the Sycamore last year, North Dakota and Red Knight. All right. No argument with there. We pretty much agree on that one. So fun day of racing. I don't think it's a slow day of racing. We were envisioning when we wrapped up last week's show, I had kind of forgot all about the apple blossom somehow, even though it arguably, arguably may be the race of the year up to this point in the calendar. So turns out uh, not a bad week of racing and I'll certainly be playing. Yeah, I wasn't sure the Apple Blossom was going to be the, the strongest race to talk about from a wagering standpoint, but I actually think the Oakland card is pretty nice on Saturday, and obviously we covered all of those races in the pick five sequence, and as you said, just really looking forward to seeing how that Apple Blossom shakes out. So a lot to look forward to for the weekend racing, and of course, we'll be back next week to recap all of the action, focusing primarily on the Oakland races when we do the Time Form US Pacecast on Tuesday. Remember that you can always listen to us on DRF.com, Spotify, iTunes, YouTube, and SoundCloud. Wherever you get your podcast, just make sure to subscribe to the Daily Racing Forum channel. Thanks for tuning in this week, and make sure to catch the Timeform US Pacecast on Tuesday.